0: For that, thank you, Brother Tim, for organizing that. That was such a blessing uh, to hear those words. I uh, get doubly blessed by the music and also by the singers. I sit there and look at the faces. I love these people. I serve the Lord with them, not just uh, in a platform way, but uh, in other ways. It's a joy to, to serve God with you. Thank you so much. Uh, Good morning. I got to meet uh, some of you, some uh, some friends that I haven't seen in a long time. Others met for the first time. Hope I get to meet you if you're a a friend here for the first time before you leave. Thank you so much for being here. We're very honored that you chose to be with us today. I hope you receive a blessing and receive some encouragement and help uh, as we open the Word of God. Hope you have a Bible. Maybe you have it on your phone. But... uh, We have the verses on the screens for you, too, that might help. I want you to turn to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll look there in just a moment in Ephesians chapter 3. I still remember all of my my teachers from elementary school and high school. Uh, Years ago, I was uh, talking about them, and uh, more than one person came to me and told me, they said, I cannot remember My teachers, they said, I I can remember their faces, but I cannot remember their names. But I I love my my teachers, many of them, because of my age, I'm sure, have gone on uh, into eternity. But they had a a tremendous impact upon my life. Uh, My mother gave me a, a curiosity for learning as I was thinking about introducing this message. I thought, well, my dad did too. My dad taught me about music. We would drive around and talk about instruments. He would teach me about uh, uh, guitars and things like that, listening to the radio. I was fascinated by that. But my mom uh, read books to me, and uh, I remember her teaching me about uh, the Tomb to the Unknown Soldier there in Washington, D.C. We had no idea that we would live there. And uh, Mount Vernon, she taught me about that. And that one day that Paula and I would... Uh, Take people there on a regular basis. We would have guests in our church, and one of the tasks that I was charged with was to take people to those sites. And uh, she she gave me a great curiosity for learning, and I never uh, dreamed that one day that I would be a teacher. Now I'm not a teacher in a classroom like a school teacher. One of the highest privileges of my life is to to take the word of God. And to be able to teach it. Uh, I love the Bible. And uh, just in my uh, teenage years, began to read the Bible and study the Bible. And my mom uh, said, why don't you teach my Sunday school class? And I was a teenager and went in, taught her fourth grade students. And then uh, began to teach a little bit. And realized that I enjoyed that. And uh, had seen some profit from it. And so I never dreamed that I would be able to do that. I'm so thankful that God has, has called me to do that. But my teachers not only taught me content, but they also uh, indirectly, I didn't realize it at the time, but they were teaching me methodology. They taught me how to teach. Uh, someone said, if, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man how to fish, you, you feed him for a lifetime. I've tried to do that with my children, not just to to give them the answer, but to teach them where to to find the answer. Now, I want to ask you a question at the the outset of the message. Do you remember uh, the first time in school that a teacher taught you a fact or a lesson that it just absolutely commanded your attention? And it, it just riveted you where you never forgot it, and you can go back even now, and say, boy, I remember that lesson. I'm not talking about when you got spanked. I'm talking about when you learned a principle or you learned a lesson. Well, I do. There, there were more than one, but the first one was in the fourth grade. And I had a teacher named Virginia Woolley. Some of you may have, have had her at Terry Heights School. It's closed now. But uh, she, she attended church here. She was not a member, but we would have special days, and I would invite my teachers. Uh, those of you that uh, maybe went to Hazel Green out there, the gym is named after her husband, uh, W.O. Woolley. He was a principal there for years, uh, and uh, so they named the gym after him. And the, uh, the football coach and the basketball coach was George Lindsay. He's Goober on Andy Griffith's show. And I was in Nashville one time at the Cracker Barrel, just south of Nashville. And I saw some books. I love the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, it was an autobiography by George Lindsay. I pulled it out. And it was autographed by him. I just started perusing through it. And he had, uh, I can kind of read pretty fast, and came through. And I saw he talked about Mr. Woolley, Miss Woolley in that book. Because he had hired... George to teach. Uh, George lived actually in downtown Huntsville and traveled out to Meridianville, Hazel Green, to teach out there when he lived here. And so uh, I bought two. I bought one for me and I bought one for the Woolies. So I went out to their home because i have been out there before. Uh, and it's actually out by the Cravers' house uh, where they live. Uh, uh, they don't know where it is, but I do. When I picked up Jake, my uh, son would uh, go to school out there some. And uh, I would drive by there and always think about him. But anyhow, I took that book out there and sat in their den. And I told him about the book. And they said, yeah. She said, George, you should sit right there where you're sitting. He'd come out here every now and then. And, and he would come and see us. Well, She was just a grand teacher. Psychologists have said that your, your fourth grade teacher... Has a greater impact on you more than any other teacher in general. Now, there are exceptions to that. And I find that to to be true while other teachers had an impact on me. Well, it was a science lesson. Now, I'm not, uh, was never big in science. I'm still not. But that happened to be a science lesson. And it was on the monarch butterfly. I got so excited that I went home and I recruited my parents and I went looking were caterpillars. Now, uh, these caterpillars would uh, would lay these eggs, and they would grow, baby caterpillars would grow, and they would get real hungry, and they would start eating leaves, and eat, and eat, and eat. And uh, put that first picture up there if you have that. And and they're different colors, but they're kind of uh, gnarly looking a little bit. That's kind of a pretty caterpillar there, but you some of you, I don't know if it's caterpillar season. I think it is in the springtime. And then uh, they, would, uh, they would eat and eat and eat, and then they would get really fat. And technically they're called larvae too, I believe. Some of you may correct me on that. And then they would climb up into a, a, a twig or a plant. And hang to it, would you go to the next slide there please, and uh, form a cocoon or chrysalis. And uh, I believe it's about two weeks that it would stay there. And this is where it got fascinating to me, right here. Some of you know about this already. And it would go through what is called a metamorphosis. It's a compound word, metamorphosis. And it would literally liquefy. I'm not going to go through all of it because uh, it's not that it's too technical. It's that I can't explain it. But it would liquefy and it would literally literally transform from the caterpillar into the butterfly. Now, if you cut into it and you try to find it, it would interrupt the process. There's a lesson to that spiritually, but we're not going to go into that. And then at the given time, at the God-given time... The, the butterfly would emerge. Go to the next slide, please. And those beautiful, those beautiful monarch butterflies go from the caterpillar to those beautiful butterflies. And you can see they're coming out from the chrysalis there that are hanging on the limb. You can see that. And they're just emerging. And then there's one more slide. I have the butterfly. And then I won't bore you any more of the pictures. Yeah. And that's the full-blown... And I remember our teacher kind of, she didn't use those slides, I got better slides, but uh, she she went through that process and I just sat there and as I told you, I went home and I told my mom about it and I was excited for weeks and I recruited her and dad and we went outside and we looked everywhere for these cocoons, we looked for uh, these these larvae, uh, these caterpillars, because I wanted to find what I never did. But I never forgot the process. And how interested was I to discover that the word metamorphosis is in the Bible. It's a Greek word, and it's in the Bible. And the word means transformation. And that's the title of the message today. It is The power to be transformed. The power to be transformed. You see, God never intended for you to be symbolically a caterpillar. God has intended for you to be what He created you to be, and He he wants you to be saved and to come to Himself, and to be transformed to be a butterfly, in essence. And you'll see this as we go through the message In transformation, metamorphosis is available to people that have a relationship with God. But until you you connect with God, until you are born again, until you become God's child, you cannot be transformed because then you're just up to yourself. You're, You're just trying to develop yourself. You're trying to cultivate yourself. You're trying to change. That's the word I'm looking for. You're trying to change yourself. But you need an outside power. You cannot change without the power of God. And the most, listen, the most powerful force in the world is the resurrection power of God. Now, we celebrate this weekend, Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is celebrated because of Passover. That's why it changes the dates in the spring. But today is Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised by the power of God. And if you are a Christian, God has given you this power. And if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Him personally, being a Christian is a personal walk with God. It's knowing Christ. And if you're not a Christian, God makes this power, this transformation power. He makes this metamorphosis available to you. Now, I want you to look in your Bible, and if you don't have it, the verses, I believe, will be available to you on the screen in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now, unto him that is able, this is a prayer, Paul is praying for these Ephesians, this church at Ephesus. He's praying for these people. He says, unto him, this is God, now unto God that is able, I just like that, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now let me stop there. He could have just said, Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think. That would be enough. That God is able to do all that you ask or think. That's incredible. That God is able to do all that you ask or think. But the Bible says that he's able to do exceeding, abundantly above and these qualifiers are, are mind-blowing you, you cannot conceive you cannot comprehend you cannot think what god wants to do for you unto him that he is able that, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think now here here's the line watch this according to the power that worketh in us According to the power that worketh in us. You can't see it, but here in my Bible, I have this, this mark. The problem is, we don't ask. The problem is, we don't ask. According to the power that works in us. If you are a Christian, if you know Christ today, and if you're not, you can come to Christ. You can ask Him to be your Savior. And you can have this this power. But the problem is, is, is we do not ask Him. And then in verse 20, He continues His prayer and He says, unto Him, this is God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. In other words, this ought to be manifested... In a church. And when he says church, he's not talking about an organization. He's not talking about mortar and brick. He's talking about people because the people are the church. In other words, this this kind of life, this kind of transformative living, ought to be seen in the lives of the people that comprise the church. Now, the power, and I want you to get this at the outset this power is not an influence. Sometimes I hear preachers preach and I cringe when they talk about the power of God as an it or a force. Like it's it's something in Star Wars, this force. No, no, please listen to this. This is crucial, and I'm going to move on, but don't miss this. This power is a person. Unto him. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. This power is is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God. Unto Him be glory in the church as as He works in our lives. Now, in the same book, He prays another prayer for these people. It's the first prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to look at it, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Ephesians 1, 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? You see this, now if you're not a believer, uh, you're kind of left to yourself. You, you, you can have some transactional things, but you can't have some transformative things. Only God can do that. Only God can change you on the inside. You'll see this in a moment. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe? And here it is, according to the working of His mighty power. And here it is, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. When God, through the Holy Spirit, raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that same Spirit lives in me because I'm a Christian. Not because I'm good. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Because God saved me. And he lives in me. And he can do abundantly above and excess above all that I ask or think according to the power that is in me. And the Bible says God has set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places far above. And this talks about Uh, demon spirits, principalities, powers, and mights, and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's put all things under His feet. He has all authority. The Lord Jesus Christ has all authority over evil, over wicked, over everything. And The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every person will bow and call His name Lord. The power of Jesus Christ is what makes a difference in life. But too many of us is is we seek other means to satisfy or to find what can fulfill that void in our life or what's going to help us transform our lives. Whether it's achievement academically or how you define success. And only he can do that. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, the prophets and my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. He said, I'm just like a well, perpetually putting out fresh water. And they've forsaken me. And they have taken up, they've hewed them out cisterns that are broken, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So rather than, than taking me who can fully satisfy them, that can meet every need that they have, they have these broken pots that when they use them, it cannot hold any life-giving water. Now this morning, when we when we get into the meat and potatoes of this message, you're going to find that this, this is a message of hope. You know, some of us are, are frustrated, and even as Christians, and you'll see this, we become frustrated because we try to make it on our own. A lot of people, after they get saved, they still don't learn this lesson. They want to go to heaven. But then they, they it's like a kid on a bicycle, and Daddy's trying to help them to learn. But they don't want to listen to Dad, and so they they do it on their own. But God wants you to experience... Him, He wants you to experience the life that He created for you. This resurrection power. But it's impossible to happen on your own. You must come to Him. 270 times the word power is used in the Bible. 270 times. The word power means the ability to act or produce an effect. It's it's physical might. But in our definition it's spiritual might God God can produce sometimes physical things but but spiritual things in your life and the greatest power in the universe is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so what difference what difference is the power of God in your life and here's our focus it's the power to transform now I have a confession to make and those of you that are older, Will believe this. I don't want you younger people to to turn me off because you need to hear this. But the older the older I get, the more dissatisfied I get with myself. That doesn't mean I'm unhappy. It just means that there's there's a yearning to change and be different. But but I I realize that 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 ability is not in me. And I just fully come to realize I can't do this. I cannot do this. The only, I was fixed to say change agent, but that that really demeans who Christ is. The only authority, the only power, the, the only ability to transform my life at its core that is meaningful and fulfilling is the Lord Jesus Christ. I did some research and I found that the percentage of suicides increases as a person grows older. And the highest percentage of suicides is men that are over 65 years old. They have the highest rate of suicide. Uh, people lose hope. They get tired. They get tired of failing. They, they, they live long enough to realize. There's, there's a country song that said that, said that uh, you know, sometimes life just isn't worth living. You, you just get tired. And um, one daughter, her her daddy took his life. He was 69 years old. And and she said this. She said, how could anyone hate life like that? How could anybody hate life like that? Three years ago, this, this coming May, uh, a very, very dear friend of mine took his life. I was, uh, Paula was asleep, and it was about 1130 at night. And I... Uh, Read something online where uh, his daughter had written something cryptic, but I could tell that he had, t- he had died, but, but the way it was written, and, and Paula woke up, she usually just she's a sound sleeper, and she could see the trouble on my face, and she said, "What's wrong?" I said, "I think so and- so." I I think, I think, I, mentioned, I, think he, I think he took his life." So the next day I made some phone calls and sure enough he took his life. Don't you listen to me? This man was a successful man. He was a very wealthy man. A very wealthy man. He was a Christian. He had witnessed to someone the week before. But there was there was something missing in his life. It wasn't Christ. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He, he, had, he had the resource. He had the power. He had the person. But sometimes success, worldly success becomes our enemy. And we still, I was talking with some pastor friends just a couple of weeks ago. We, we still grieve his loss. Left Behind several daughters and a precious wife, do you want to be transformed this morning or or do you want to stay in bondage? Do you want to be negative and pessimistic? Do you want to be bound to destructive habits? Do you want to be fearful? I could go on who I mean is there something within you that wants something better? I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. There's something that God made you for. And the gospel is good news. And the good news is he can transform you, he can save you. He can save you not just from hell, he can save you from yourself. He can not only save you from hell in the future, he can can change you right now. You can be a different person. And so at Calvary, at the cross, He paid my, my sin debt. He rose from the dead. That's what we celebrate this weekend, the cross and the, and the empty tomb. And God accepted that payment. And this power, this resurrection power makes the difference. Romans 10 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. The word saved means delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from hell. But it also means delivered from yourself. Delivered from your sin. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Unto salvation. A transformation begins in your life. And the gospel, the definition of the gospel is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The word gospel means good news. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news. This is the good news. It's not in counseling. It's not even in a sermon unless a sermon has the gospel. It's not in a 12-step program. Moreover, therefore, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, I want you to pay attention to that. I'm going to come back to that. Unless you believed in vain, what does that mean? For I declare or I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I have received how that Christ died for our sins. He was your substitute. The word for is a substitutionary word. He died for your sins in your place according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Listen, this is a message of power. Now, when he says there, unless you have believed in vain, the word vain means without cause. Unless you have believed without cause. Here's the idea. It means that sometimes people come to Christ believing with mental assent. Well, I believe Jesus as a historical figure, just like there was a George Washington, there was a Benjamin Franklin. So I embrace him that way. That's believing in vain. That's what that means. No, I'm coming to him as my Savior. I'm coming to him because I'm lost, because I need transformation. There's something missing in my life. I don't like my future destination. I don't like where I'm going So I'm coming to Him. I need a Savior. And let me give you three ideas very quickly. Number one, Jesus transforms my past. He transforms my past. I don't know about you, my my past is filled with sins. It's filled with bad decisions. It's filled with painful memories. What is your past filled with? Every person in here... Has a past. Every person in here. Some of you, even after you got saved, you did things you shouldn't have done. And you have an hour in your life that you you wish you could excise it. You have a day in your life. You have a week. You have a month. A year. You have a season in your life. You wish that that was not a part of your life, but it happened. It's a part of your life. But the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, He can transform your past. And that's what you're here for. Easter is about your past. The resurrection power is about your past. It doesn't need to chain you down. First of all, concerning your past, it can transform your guilt to forgiveness. In your past, it was characterized by by guilt and running from God. People that are guilty, they, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to be reminded of their past. But when you can clear your conscience and just acknowledge, Lord, I did it. I did it. he already knows that it's called confession psalm one hundred and thirty verses three and four if thou Lord shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand the word mark means to pay close attention to it means to count god if you should if you should pay attention and focus on our iniquities and the word iniquities is interesting it's not sins. It is the result of your sins. In fact, your iniquity is your inward crookedness. It's your sin nature, the result of your sin nature. If God should count our sins, if He should guard our sins, if He should pay attention to our sins, who of us should stand? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is is no one. But the psalmist responds and he says, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Listen, th- th- listen, God can transform your past. You don't need to be guilty, not because you haven't sinned, but because you have sinned. But the solution is to come to Him and just admit it and say, God, I did it. And I need you to be my Savior. I need you to cleanse my heart and my mind. Concerning your past, He can transform your old life to a new life. Second Corinthians five seventeen, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. God works a new work in your life. He makes you a new person. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I want you to notice in the text. It doesn't say if any man be in the church. It doesn't say if he's in the church role, if he's in the baptistry, if he's in Christ. When you come to Christ, when you know Him, when you have His power, you become a new person. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I love this one. You know, in the past, we're in bondage to our sin. We're hurting other people. We're hurting ourselves. We want to be close to people, but we don't know how. Sometimes we've been abused by people. We've been hurt by people, and so we... We build these calluses up on our heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, God says, A new heart, a new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. You can feel something, you can respond. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can have compassion. He can take away the indifference out. He can change you on the inside. I'm not talking about just an external change where you're just some kind of a religious robot. I'm talking about there's something real on the inside. And I will, watch this, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, I love this, and cause you, walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Willing obedience follows. He even helps me to fulfill his command. Boy, that's a good deal. <laughs> it's not dry, dutiful, obligatory obedience. He helps me to obey him. And in the past, I was condemned before a holy and righteous God. But now He can transform your record before God from being condemned to righteous. Because if you're lost, you're condemned before God. God loves you, but listen, your your record is is dirty. And He's holy. He cannot allow unrighteous people into heaven. Now you know this verse, but there's some verses after it. I want you to see these. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth Him should not perish. You see, those that do not believe in Him will perish. But those that believe in Him will have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent His Son to save the world. But that the world through Him, through Him, salvation comes through Him, might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, here it is, is condemned already. If you've never trusted Christ, you're condemned already. That was my state as a sinner before God. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And God can transform your record before God from condemned to righteous. God dealt with my past as a nine-year boy on February the 18th, 1968. And he changed, he changed me from guilty to where that I could look before God and know my record had been expunged. Not because I was good, but because he forgave me. And he changed my record from unrighteous to righteous and gave me the very righteousness of his son. Jesus transforms my Past. Number two, Jesus transforms my present. Well, this is good. You see, most people, they stop there and say, well, He took care of my past. Oh, listen, He transforms my present. See, God continues to work in His children. Those that are Christians, they realize that even after they're saved, that sometimes there's a, there's a frustration in them that I still want to be what I want to be, but I can't. Like my friend who was a Christian and he took his life. Say, Preacher, can, can you explain that? Well, yes, I can. I'll explain it right now. Because God is still working and Jesus not only wants to transform your past, but he wants to transform your present. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is working within us. I mean, in my own illness, I have... And forgive me for mentioning this. For my people, they hear this a lot. But I live with pain a lot, and I have to. I have to subjugate this to to God, so that my family and my friends and my church does not hear. it. They don't want to hear it. They love me, and I have to say, Father, would you would you help me? And and sometimes during the day, Paula will say, uh, "What did you say?" I said, "Well, I, nothing." Or sometimes I'll just be honest, and I "I was I was talking to God. I was praying because I'm just Father, help me. God, help me. God, help me. Because the pain hurt, The physical pain hurts so bad. Because God is transforming my present." And it's not a form of griping. It is to keep me so that I can have an even kill. So that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. According to the power, I'm putting this pain in his hands. I don't want him just to transform my past. I need some help in the present. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism. Into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, like as, it's comparative, from the dead by the glory of the Father. Watch this, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Don't you want to, don't you want to have a fresh life? Say, yeah, but I got saved 30 years ago. Listen, God can give you a fresh life. His mercies are new every morning. God help you if you're a grump. God help your wife. God help your husband. God help your kids. God help your parents and your siblings. People you go to church with and you work with. Is this power not real? Can He transform you? What is this freshness? What does this new life look like? Well, Paul prayed for the Colossians in Colossians 1. Verses 10 and 11, and we get a glimpse of it. Notice this. He says, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And look at this. Being fruitful in every good work. This is what it means to have a transformed present. Wouldn't you like to be fruitful in good works? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened, look at, here it is. Strengthened with all might. According to his glorious power, and here it is unto here's the result all patience long suffering with joyfulness. This is not just a dry patience or or a dutiful or a, a, a dutiful endurance. This is joyfulness. This is a transformed person. You don't have to be some kind of a Christian caterpillar walking around. God wants to transform you. And He does this by the the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He he transforms your present. I love these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I think we read those verses sometimes. Are you here? Are you a Christian? We read those verses as for lost people. This is for people that are saved. Under the saved, the cross is the power of God. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, it it transforms people. That are Christians presently. Let me give you another verse that we, we quote sometimes for lost people. It has an application, but it's for Christians. Romans 1 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that is lost. I misquoted it, didn't I? It is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. You see, if you believe, you still need to be delivered from yourself. And the gospel delivers you from yourself, from your rudeness, from your pride. Don't be this, this excuse giving caterpillar Christian that lives. In the past, God wants to transform your present. This can be a new day for some of you. One of my favorite writers with this is a, a British, uh, he was an army officer, but he became a Christian. And he began to study on this idea of the exchanged life, that it's not what I do for Jesus, it's what he does in me. His name is Major Ian Thomas. Let me give you three quotes quickly and then I'll give you more thought and we'll be out of here. He said, to be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. You know, I, I told you a while ago, you need to be in Christ. That's salvation. That's redemption. But after you're in Christ, Christ comes in you. And the word, sanctification means spiritual growth. It means Christ-likeness. That's when you grow. Now, if you if you have been in Christ, He's in you. And he wants to transform you. Are you the same person yesterday you are this morning when you walked in? Hey, good to see you. Happy Easter. Hope you get some Easter eggs. Oh, you look so nice today. Did you get a new tie? That's a nice dress. Will you be the same person when you get in the car? Is there a consistency in your life? Christ in you can help you with that. Here's another quote. I love this one. Godliness is not the consequence of your capacity to imitate God, but the consequence of his capacity to reproduce himself in you. Well, that's it. That's the gospel. It's not about moralisms. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that, keep a checklist. All that does is it identifies a weakness of your flesh. It's it's about God reproducing Himself. It's actually coming to God and saying, God, I cannot do this. Many times I've told you that there's only one person that ever lived the Christian life. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody's ever done it. One person did it. But the good news is He lives in you if you're saved. Now just let Him live. Surrender to Him. One more quote. Thomas said, There are those who have a life they never live. They have come to Christ and thanked Him only for what He did in the past. But they do not live in the power of who He is presently. Unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's the Easter message. And on February the 18th, 1968, God dealt with my present. Not just my past, not just my guilt, not just my sins, not just my record, but He dealt with my ability to live a righteous life. I didn't even realize it. But He is a sanctifier of my life. And He helps me. He helps me to say I'm sorry to my wife when I offend her. He helps me to be consistent. He helps me to humble myself. He helps me. And I need His help every day. I need His help moment by moment. Jesus transforms my past. He transforms my present. And then I'll mention this. He transforms my future Jesus transforms my future. He's taking care of all of it, past, present, and future. He saved me from the penalty of sin, which was hell. He's saving me presently from the power of sin, which battles for my mind and my heart. And one day when Jesus comes, we sing about it at the end of the day, He will save me from the very presence of sin in heaven. And I'm going to have battles with sin and temptation I won't have these battles with headaches and pain and other things. I won't have these battles with sorrows. And we had a wonderful memorial celebration of life service, but there was grief there. The last conversation Jesus had with his disciples included this in John chapter 14 and verse 9. He said, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Because I live, ye shall live also. And he told us a promise in John chapter 4, I'm sorry, John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. I have hope, verily, verily, I'm sorry, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, And believeth on him that sent me, hath present tense, right now, everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I send you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead, listen, those that have died, those that are Christians, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live." Now their spirits and their souls are already living, but their bodies will be raised from the dead. You say, well, what will they hear? Well, that's in John 5. In John chapter 11, they, Lazarus heard his name. I believe every person that has died, they will hear their name just like Lazarus. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Jesus will call their name, and they will receive a body free of incorruption. And they shall live again. My my precious grandmother, who who I owe so much to, she was uh, dying from cancer. And my brother Hoss graduated from high school in May, like May the thirtieth. It was late May. They graduated later than of nineteen eighty two, forty years ago. She. Uh, Paul and I drove from D.C. We got home and came to the graduation. I didn't know it would be the last full time I came home to be with her. Six weeks later, in first week of July, I got a call from my mom on a Friday night and said, your grandmother's dying. She was like my second mother. Paul and I got in the car. We literally drove all night long. We pulled in on Saturday about noon. And uh, we went in and she lived through Wednesday. She passed away on July the 8th, at, uh, July the 11th at 3.45 in the afternoon. She was barely 60 years old. I've outlived my her husband and her, her husband died when he was 56. She died when she was 60. I've older than my grandmother, my mother. I told Paula this morning that tomorrow, my grandmother, I'm talking about she will is her birthday and she would have been 100 years old tomorrow I'm going to go to her grave tomorrow and just honor her what a wonderful lady I remember as Hoss and I and Melanie went to the cemetery there and and we buried her body and I had all of these thoughts some of which I'm sharing with you but knowing that the next day I was going to get in the car and leave my brother and my sister and my mom and my dad and my family and my heart was so crushed and go back i was 24 years old and i wanted to stay here just just to have some and grieve a while but there's coming a day there's coming a day well, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take care of all that. And he's going to, listen, he's going to transform our future. And caught us all to heaven. and on February the 18th, 1968, when I was a little boy, and it hasn't happened yet, he transformed my past. He took all of my guilt. All of it. He took that old record that was littered and cluttered with sin. And rebellion. And he made it righteous so I didn't deserve it. Because I trusted Christ. And he transformed my present. So that now when I come to him and I depend upon him. That I can live a godly life. Not because I'm good, but because he is good. And he transformed my future that I have hope That, that. That is the Easter message. That's what we celebrate when he came out of the grave. I wonder this morning how about you? Do you need transformation from your past? Where are your sins today? Are they on your shoulders? Are they on your mind? He wants to cleanse you. Would you come to him? Are you a child of God today? Are you trying to do all this stuff by yourself? Did you trust Him for your salvation from your sins? Why don't you trust Him for your life and just yield to Him? And maybe your heart is broken because loved ones have gone on. Oh, listen, He's going to make all that right one day. This power that we have is resurrection power. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I want you to bow your heads. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? No one's looking. He wants to give you that power. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time in your life. When you come before him and say, God, I am a sinner and I've broken your law and I need to be forgiven of my sins.